Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Kelly Capote, the Chief Customer Officer at Gainsight. Today, we'll be covering three main topic areas with Kelly. First, key insights from the 2022 Customer Success Benchmarking Index. Second, the evolving priority of customer success, especially in today's cautious capital environment. And third, the role of the Chief Customer Officer, Kelly, please take a moment to give a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Ray. Excited to be here. So, hi, folks. As Ray said, I'm the CCO here at Gainsight. I've had the immense pleasure of spending the past about five and a half years at Gainsight, really transforming and evolving through the, the CS organization. So, the entirety of my career has been spent in the CS umbrella here at Gainsight, building out in the early days our enterprise arm of customer success, leading those teams, having the opportunity to then expand my remit and lead the entire customer success organization. And then I had the immense pleasure about a year and a half ago to really spread my wings and lead the post-sales organization as CCO, then taking in the pillars of support, professional services, the CSM org, and then we have a centralized CS ops and scale organization as well. And a large part of what I do, Ray, is I have the fun and the pleasure of interacting with other CS executives, you know, in addition to our customers, but in the industry more broadly to trade notes, thought leadership advice, and continue to trailblaze the next version of what customer success is going to look like for organizations. I look very forward to discussing the evolution of the customer success organization and the chief customer officer role. But let's start with this baseline of data. And it was based upon the customer success benchmarking index that we partnered on over the last three or four months. And there's some really interesting data and insights that we found during that research. So Kelly, let's start with what were some of the top findings that you saw in the benchmarking research that we conducted? Yeah, it's a great question. So there was a few findings that I will say I was pleasantly surprised about, like in a good way. I was excited because these were kind of monumental and they're just, they're tangible results that I think kind of crystallize where we've been in customer success and the maturity and evolution that we're now seeing. So one of them was 41% of companies indicated that CS ops organizations were newly formed. And then in total, 61% of organizations have some version of a, a CS ops organization. To me, this is really critical and important to underscore because it's synonymous in my mind to sales and sales operations or revenue operations. It shows the level of operational rigor and operational excellence from an investment standpoint that organizations are taking to really double down and kind of sophisticate those principles and workflows within their CS teams. So that was a big one. I was also pleasantly surprised and pleased to see 
that uh, when we kind of looked at the performance metric side of things for CS organizations, that 63% of them were tracking net revenue retention. So NRR as a core metric. Again, I think that this really emphasizes that CS is now being appreciated as a growth engine for organizations. And it's not that limited view of customer success or the CSM organization just being this churn fighting machine, right? So it shifted a little bit from kind of the defense to the offense. I mean, a big piece of that too is 45% of CS organizations actually have true renewal responsibility. I think that that'll be a number that we continue to see shift up into the right over the next several years. So those were some of the, the key statistics that I thought were like a good sign of where customer success has been and, and where it's going. Well, as our listeners know, we love to talk metrics and data. So thank you for throwing out a lot of data there, Kelly. And I'm going to dig down into a couple of those. And first of all, that 63% of customer success organizations are tracking net revenue retention, a real key to enterprise value. But at the same time, what I was a little surprised at was I think it was only about 20% of CS organizations had primary responsibility for the upsell and cross-sell motion. And since net revenue retention is based upon both renewal rates on a dollar mm -hmm. basis, but also on the expansion revenue, upsells, cross-sells, how does CS effectively drive better NRR where they don't drive the upsell cross-sell process? Yeah, it's a great question. So I wouldn't get my personal opinion is I wouldn't get too hung up on that 20% in terms of them actually like owning the transaction of the expansion. I think the good metric to kind of orient around in terms of the benchmark report is, you know, 49% of the time, CS is still identifying and handing off those leads to sales. And if you think of the nature and the dynamic of a CSM's role, you know, effectively they should be functioning as like a trusted advisor, consultative type of partner to the customer. So in that working environment, it becomes more of an organic conversation, especially if they are having the right altitude of conversation around desired business outcomes and understanding truly what the customer is trying to do and working that backwards in order to achieve like the next set you know, of maturity of outcomes. It very often demands some type of additional functionality or users, you're bringing more teams and departments. So if you're able to craft that long-term roadmap or partnership view with your customer, expansion sort of, sort of should happen organically over the time. I say it's I say expansion is earned, it's not sold in my opinion. So you've got to get to some minimal like level of value and adoption to really be able to continue to push things, you know, in the right direction from a growth perspective. So I think it's great news that 50% of organizations are at least identifying the opportunities. And what I hope to see is that a metric, which we call customer success qualified leads, I think at, at minimum, that should sort of be table stakes for CS organizations is to measure the number of customer success qualified leads, what's the pipeline dollars at play, how much of that was closed one, what's the difference in conversion rates from when it's a customer success driven lead versus a marketing driven lead, right? Because there's also efficiencies there in terms of acquisition costs and things like that. So 
I, I think we will certainly see some pieces of, you know, in some organizations where maybe the product isn't as complex, the industry is more mature. I think the the nature of the CSM role, they may be able to handle some of the organic expansion. I usually see it's like more of that organic expansion versus cross-sell expansion where it goes back to your traditional sales teams. But at minimum, I think CSMs can still have the attribution of expansion because of the identification, the handoff, which usually makes it much more of a layup to kind of close those deals. And and the deal cycles are usually much shorter as well. So it's a collaboration in my mind. It doesn't always have to be an or, it's kind of an end type of dynamic between the two teams. I love the concept of the customer success qualified lead because it's similar to a prudent qualified lead. What we've found in some of our additional research is that a prudent qualified lead closes typically 2.5 times at a greater rate than a marketing qualified lead. And in my own operating experience, we found that our customer success identified upsells and cross sells typically had like a 60% shorter lead time and about a 2x higher close rate. So I would love to see that. But let me let me talk a little bit about that 49% of the time where CS has got responsibility to help identify those yeah. expansion opportunities. And the other thing we found in our research, Kelly, was that when we asked what were the tools that customer success used to ensure there's being value delivered, and I think a perfect entree into identifying expansion opportunities are customer success plans which 63% of the participants said they use to drive customer success and customer value. And 62% are using QBRs or quarterly business reviews. So my question is, do you have any insights on how best practices to really implement and use customer success plans? And then after that, and QBRs. Absolutely. This is one of my my favorite topics, Ray. I'm so happy you asked. So And it's interesting, as I was looking at some of the survey results, I was happy to see that 60-some-percent of organizations were using success plans. But if you look at the customer success measurements, which are more of like the leading indicator type of measurements that organizations are are tracking for their CS teams, only 23% of them were tracking what we call like verified outcomes or ROI measurement. So what that tells me, Ray, is that there's a lot of opportunity to elevate how they're using success plans to be more strategic and outcomes driven versus probably a little bit tactical and task driven. Like they've got to, you know, kind of tie it back to what we're doing and what's the true business value that it's delivering. So to answer your question more specifically, best practice success planning, in my opinion, and this is what really helps get the sales organization, the success organization speaking the same language is having a value framework inside your organization, a commonly like a universal value framework that sales uses, you know, to land deals. Then those use cases get translated, you know, through implementation. And then it becomes ideally kind of the holy grails. It becomes more of a a validation exercise when it gets to success, but it's going to be a dynamic living, breathing document. Like the success plan should be the identification and understanding of what are the customer's desired business outcomes. So for example, at Gainsight, you know, we have a library of these are the six key business challenges that customers are trying to solve. We've then mapped certain goals to those challenges. And then that drills down into workflow or use case library with standardized metrics to baseline and track success criteria over time. So 
I work with a lot of CS organizations and it's usually one of the biggest sort of low hanging fruit kind of red flag quick wins is like, okay, let's, there's some work we can do with these success plans. They're much more inside out driven versus outside in driven. And that's how your, your teams can really start to elevate the level of partnership they have with making sure it's speaking the customer's language of why did we even invest in this product? Like, what are we trying to do? And then having that connective tissue and walking it back to say, okay, you know, retention is a big issue for you because of that, you know, we need to actually go execute and operationalize a risk management, a risk escalation process, right? That's going to let allow us to have those early warning signals and proactively run some playbooks to get ahead of the risk. Here's sort of the baseline of red accounts today. If we can bring that down by X percent, that's probably then in turn going to, you know, yield some retention improvement of, of Y percent. So that's the biggest opportunity to a, elevate the success planning. And then in turn, by doing so, you're then working through like a maturity ladder of outcomes, which will make those expansion conversations much more organic in nature. I love the theme of a common thread from the sales process to the implementation and then the retention and expansion around a common value framework. And I've seen that work really effectively in enterprise class kind of product categories or customer yep. segments. Can you deploy a similar concept in the mid-market or even the higher end of SMBs cost effectively? You can. And it's kind of a, I would say this is the direction that a lot of CS organizations are trying to figure out right now was more of that scale side of customer success. And how do I take some of the great robust workflows that have, you know, have some proven success in the enterprise or the high end of our segmentation and then kind of bring that downstream. So we're doing this internally. I'm starting to see a lot of other organizations, some of the more progressive ones start to stand some similar mechanisms up internally. The best way I've seen it could be via email, right? Like obviously, usually there's still probably a sales team that brought them in. So if they can document it in the pre-sales stage, that's a great way to capture it and feed it into like a customer success platform. And then if not, the easiest way to validate or ask for the first time, if for some reason it wasn't captured in sales, is via like a survey. My preference would be an in-app survey. So you can drive even more personalization based on the user, the persona, different people care about different things, but you can sort of replicate those, you know, live human-led conversations with tailored surveys, whether it be in-app in your product or via an email. And then based on those responses, you then nurture the customers with the, the right documentation, best practice, knowledge, resources to kind of guide them down that path and then continue down that journey. Folks even do like automated EBRs, you know, just like pre-packaged little EBR templates or a monthly newsletter that kind of summarizes their usage data, their adoption, what are they doing in the platform that's specifically tied to those goals. So it certainly takes some work, you know, there's some legwork on the front end that needs to happen, but you can certainly digitize the way that you do some human-led things and lean into automation and technology to drive similar experiences in the low end of your customer base. 
Yeah, I, I love the way you weaved in-app product experience to drive customer value. And that could be a whole nother podcast. But I just have uh -huh. one more question about driving customer value. And that's the use of the quarterly business review. Yep. Now, if we've done a good job in a customer acquisition process of documenting the value that's expected from the executive or economic buyer, I can see how that flows through to even a QBR. But my question to you is how often do the QBRs really include that executive economic buyer? And if it's a low percentage, Kelly, do you have any best practice or ideas on how to involve those executives more often into QBR? Yeah, I'll, there's probably like a few components to your question. So I'll try and unpack them a few different ways. So first and foremost, I think you're right. The way I think about it is the executive business review is the forum, right? The success plan is sort of the mechanism that you should be using within those strategic forums to showcase what you've accomplished and then get clear alignment on the critical path and kind of the go forward partnership roadmap. In my experience, a lot of the success of getting, you know, the E, the executive buyer to show up to those meetings, it starts with some early expectation setting, right? Like I, like we do a partnership alignment call, even sometimes it happens during implementation, if not, at least as part of that transition to the, the handoff from onboarding to the customer success team, making sure that the executive is present in that call or that last steering committee as part of implementation and introducing sort of their peer, right? Like their, their executive champion within Gainsight, that's going to be kind of their partner or buddy throughout the journey and setting some clear expectations of like what we expect and why and what we plan to kind of cover in those quarterly or, or semi-annually. Not everybody does them every quarter, just to make sure they understand it's going to be strategic conversations. The other tactic I've seen work, Ray, is more of a progressive style EBR where without, you know, executives are very busy people. They don't always have an hour or two to dedicate to these meetings. So you could also just have that expectation setting conversation. And maybe you decide that the first 30 minutes, first 45 minutes, that's going to be tailored to that high level strategic conversation. You're probably digging into the value that we delivered, gaining alignment to make sure that our understanding of their strategic priorities and initiatives are accurate you know, getting them to share a little bit about what's top of mind for them. And then they can drop off. And then the, the back half of it can become more of that working session. It gets a little bit, not tactical, but you're getting into the weeds a little bit more than maybe even, you know, an executive might care about. So those are two of them. And then the third one, the process that I think really helps with the continuity of this is having a stakeholder alignment program in place. So some people call it like a, you know, a sponsor program, an executive sponsor program. This is really making sure that A, you know who the key personas are at your customer. It's all about getting multi-threaded with your customers, right? And obviously the executive buyer is a key person in that, but doing some persona mapping to understand who are the key influencing personas within your customer's organization and then having sort of this buddy mapping system internally with your company so that there's ongoing engagement across these, these individuals over the course of the customer journey. We actually define, you know, SLAs by segment of how frequently. So for example, I'm aligned to a lot of the CCOs, you know, at, at our customers and based on the segment, you know, if I'm their sort of dedicated or assigned buddy, I need to be talking to them every quarter or every six months. Those are great conversations to kind of pre-wire and feed those EBRs to make them even that much more productive and, and kind of get them to, to show up to the table. 
So those are some of the tactics I would suggest and recommend. I love the fact that you started with that early expectation setting that right in during the onboarding or the onboarding to the CSM, yeah. that those expectations are established. I also found in my own operating roles where I had a key objective for the CSM was executive engagement during that EBR or the first part of the QBR. Yeah. Do you think having that as a key, one of the top three to five objectives for a CSM, is, is that too much? I don't think so. And I think, listen, there's, in my opinion, there's a maturity of like goals and metrics that make sense for CSMs at different points in the maturity of kind of building your CS organization. So in the early days, you know, if you need to kind of build some muscle memory and some behaviors of really, A, just getting the EBRs to happen, getting the right people to the table, that's probably a metric that makes a lot of sense to double down on for a few quarters until we kind of figure out what works, get the tactics going. And then from that point, you know, if it kind of it's kind of running pretty smoothly at that point, then I often see folks shift away from some of the activities and it's more of the leading indicators and lagging outcomes as kind of the sophistication of their their workflows, and the operating rhythm mature. I love the fact that you, you talked a little bit about maturity, because one of the things I truly believe in is maturity models, different expectations for different stages of a company's growth and maturity. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit on that and talk about the evolution of customer success as a function. It was interesting in our research, Kelly, 95% of the participants, now there was some selection bias there because we do target customer success, but they had 95% had a customer success organization. And as you mentioned, I think 61% now have CS ops. So bring out that crystal ball and talk a little bit about the evolution of customer success, not so much in a rear view mirror, but how do you see it evolving over the next two to three years, Kelly? Yeah, this is a good one. I love sort of the having some of the foresight, right, in terms of what we think that's going to happen in customer success. So a few big things. I mean, you know, I think we've already evolved a lot to be, like I mentioned before, less of that reactive function, more of the proactive kind of growth engine of the business. I think a few, like two or three things that I think are going to continue to happen. Number one, more and more organizations are going to really recognize and execute on the fact that customer success is not just a functional thing. Like it's not just your CSM organization, but it's an overarching strategy and mindset for the entire organization to rally around if they really want to deliver, you know, ultimate success to their customers and to their business. So a byproduct of that is going to be a lot more cross-functional alignment showing up you know, I think across product and customer success specifically, in so many of my conversations, that's an area of so much opportunity. There's a lot of desire, but there's still some of that creative tension around just how product teams have traditionally operated. And then how can we really infuse sort of the customer centric you know, dynamic or DNA into their their day-to-day -day roles and metrics. So there's that cross-functional piece, I think, is going to continue to be a big thing. And that's going to be a lot of, a, I think, a top-down initiative from CEOs. And it's a big responsibility of CCOs, in my opinion. Like, I feel like my ultimate responsibility is to be the learning engine for the organization and build those cross-functional relationships with product and sales and marketing and making sure that we're all thinking about things, you know, with the, the kind of the customer in mind as the first line of innovation. 
Kelly, let's double click into that. I loved what you just said, where the cross-functional kind of information flows. And specifically, I think who better than a customer success manager would be the voice of the customer for both a challenges they have with the product or the value they're driving from the product or the potential future value-added features product could drive to the product. Do you have a formalized process for that feedback mechanism today from that voice of the customer to your product team, Kelly, that you can share? Yeah, so this has been an area I'm always challenged in a good way, right? Like there's a pretty high bar in terms of what we do with customer success internally at Gainsight. Um, and it's one of the fun parts of my job that I enjoy. So I'm always trying to be like, okay, this is a big thing. Like how can we be best in class at it? So then we can help curate and socialize the playbook to other organizations in the industry. So product and CS collaboration has been a huge area of focus for us, especially in like the past 12 to 18 months. I repurpose one of my strongest CS leaders, and we actually have a very formal initiative. It's a product, product plus CS interlock. Some organizations do this in a very lightweight way. We wanted to have single threaded resources here to really formalize like a program and a structure around it with clearly defined, like these are the top initiatives we want to focus on this year. Here's the operating rhythm in terms of who we're going to meet, who are the cross-functional sort of tiger team that needs to be in what meetings and what does success criteria look like across these things. So one of the pieces is doing a regular review in terms of like the top hit list of things that are being bubbled up and aggregated from the customer success organization and making sure that the top things find a place, you know, into the product roadmap on a quarterly basis. We've also done certain things like we're doing what we call like a customer centric product development life cycle, one of them being the release process, right? And how do we make it as customer-centric and even teammate-centric as we possibly can. So there's the product readiness side, right? When you think of product release, there's always a product readiness side of it. And we have a scorecard for that. But there's also like a, a customer readiness side and like an internal readiness metric of are our teams properly enabled? Have we properly enabled the customers? Do we have all the documentation? And there's different based on sort of the size of the features and releases, we've come up with a whole process and sort of rubric, so to speak, of different milestones. And we would actually, like, we just had a feature of a week or two ago. And from a product readiness perspective, we thought it was probably there. From a customer readiness perspective, we said, you know what, let's pause a month because we want to make sure these things are there to make it the most top-notch experience when we release this for the team to be prepared and for our customers to be prepared. So we're doing some really cool stuff on that side of things. And Ray, we actually have a cool feature coming out actually that's going to be it, like a module in Gainsight that actually feeds product feedback directly from what CSMs are capturing directly to product organizations. Another perfect example of why in-app product experience functionality is so important. Who better to get the feedback from than directly from the user at the point of opportunity, right? Absolutely. And what often happens, right, there's just these siloed examples that like, and where I think where organizations struggle is being able to aggregate those, right? So we really know sort of the magnitude of of demand and being able to quantify then, you know, the business impact by prioritizing those or not prioritizing those. So just being able to make more informed decisions that to your point will benefit retention, but it's actually going to get the flywheel going to drive additional growth as well. Well, speaking of additional growth, we're going to pivot one more time, Kelly. And over the last few years, we've seen the evolution of the chief revenue officer. 
And often that's the integration of marketing and sales to really have better, I'll say, tight integration for the entire customer acquisition process. But now we have the chief customer officer. Yeah. And you've evolved from being a, you know, a leading customer success executive to being the CCO of an organization. Can you tell me a little bit about the construct of what a CCO, Chief Customer Officer's responsibility is at Gainsight? And then how does that interrelate to what a CRO is responsible for? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say the construct and sort of the remit of my role, I would define as sort of the traditional or most commonly kind of structured CCO roles, role and responsibilities in the market. So for us at Gainsight, I have four key pillars of responsibility. Number one is our CSM organization. The second piece is our support organization. The third piece or the third pillar is our professional services organization. And then the last one is what we call, um, it's our centralized CS operations and scale team. So there's a few things that kind of fold underneath of there. It's, you know, your traditional running the business type of things from an operations perspective. Uh, we have some strategic priorities that sit under there. So like that product CS interlock, I have that and some value realization stuff from an initiative perspective that sits under there. And then that's where my whole digital led scaled CS program and that team sits under there as well. So most people like to term it like the post sales org, so to speak. So we have a pretty traditional setup at Gainsight, I would say, compared to you know the remit of, of most CCOs. In terms of how that collaborates and or differentiates from like a CRO, there's certainly organizations where customer success does roll into a CRO. And in many cases, there may not be a CCO role that exists when it does that. I've actually even, you know, I, I work with a few organizations that have a CCO and the CCO rolls into the CRO, which then rolls into the CCO. I'm a little biased, okay? But like, I'm very keen on the CCO having an equal playing field with the CRO, like, especially if there are both roles in an organization and having sort of a seat at the table directly with the executive team. For the reasons I just mentioned, um, I think a CRO is going to be 100% kind of commercially motivated. But I, I think if you can have the right collaboration across sales, success, and marketing, like something we make, we have a lot of intentionality about at Gainsight is making sure that it's kind of a three-legged stool that Jeff, our CRO, right, and Monica, my CMO, and myself, that we present as a unified go-to-market team in front of the organization. So very similar to how you have a CMO, right, where there's a lot of collaboration and even dependency on sales in terms of the metrics that marketing ultimately is responsible for. I see the CCO in a very similar way. Like it's still part of the go-to-market team of the revenue engine of the business, but we're sort of holding down the fort and constantly challenging the rest of the organization through the, through the eyes of the customer where we spend, you know, 90% of our time. So I think it helps kind of balance out some of the trade-offs and the decisions. And it's it just keeps a healthy balance within the executive team from a decision-making perspective. I can't believe we're already coming to the end of today's episode, but I got to ask you one more question before we yeah. kind of wrap up. And that is, I believe that company level metrics is a great source of alignment between all the executives, the CRO, the CMO, the CCO, the CPO. Kelly, what are the top three, and I'm going to try to limit you to three, 
outcome metrics that your board of directors are really interested in, do you personally own or at least take partial responsibility for? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say the top three. So I present our gross revenue retention. So I'll, we'll start with the lagging ones, gross revenue retention and net revenue retention. I actually present that to the board, not our CRO. And then from a leading indicator perspective, they love that we track verified outcomes. So that's like the tangible ROI. Have we actually delivered against the business goals that we've identified that our customers care about? And we do some cool regression analysis against our leading indicator to show, hey, when a customer is green in ROI, that actually yields, you know, X additional increase from a retention perspective. So that's some of the kind of sophisticated analysis we share, and that really gets them excited. Well, I love the fact that you own gross revenue retention. Net revenue retention is the number two factor in enterprise value. And it yep. does require tight integration with marketing and sales because it's yep. the expansion, that upsell, cross-sell motion. I really love the verified outcomes approach. So I just think those are three such best practice metrics that the head of uh, or the CCO should own. Thank you for sharing. But we got to wrap up. And I want to do it through three quick questions. Okay. Those three quick questions are, is there a CEO or company that you think is a must-follow in 2022 besides Gainsight and Nikmeta? Yeah, I knew you were going to say I couldn't pick Gainsight. I'm just kidding. I've gotten to, to know Aptio really well. They're another Vista portfolio company. And I think what they do will be really interesting kind of in this in the world in the new economic you know climate that we're operating with. So it's Aptio. They really help customers. They have software that helps customers transform their IT financial management, which I'm sure is going to be a big deal as folks really start to double down on costs and driving more efficient growth in these market conditions. And I, I have, I'm very fond of their, their CEO, Sunny. I know their CCO really well, and I'm just really um, inspired and motivated by how they run their business. So I'm going to put a little plug out there for Aptio. That's a new one. Is it Aptio or Appvio? Aptio, A-P-P-T-I-O. Great. Thank you for that. Second, which tool, not your own, do you think every SaaS company should be using? And I can even limit it to to really drive customer success and customer value besides the Gainsight platform. Yeah, so that's a good one. I'm obviously, I think an obvious one is Slack. I mean, who doesn't love, have like love Slack? So um, I could not live without Slack, but I'll share. There's a cool one that we actually just purchased. It's a smaller company. It's up and coming. It's called Glean, um, G-L-E-A-N. And they do federated searches. So that's as we think about driving efficiency, right? Especially as folks maybe clamp down on, on some cost and getting getting very lean and mean with their resources. We've done a pilot and we're starting to use their technology. And I think it's I think it's it's super helpful for CSMs because you have stuff that's living in all these different places. Um, and being able to search across all these different these different forums makes a makes it really easy for your CSM organizations. So Glean, it's really an enterprise search tool for internal search against all your different platforms. That, exactly. So you might have things living in Google Drive. They might be living in your LMS. So it's one place. It connects to all the all the different platforms and does a federated search and just brings up everything across all your, your different platforms. Love it. Then last question. There's someone who's just getting ready to graduate college or recently graduated, and they hear Kelly and it's like, man, I would love to be a chief customer officer someday. What advice do you give them early in their career, Kelly? 
Yeah, I, if I had to pick one thing, I would say bias for action. You know, when I reflect back on back on my career, I think there's lots of people that right can look around and identify opportunities, but really grabbing that by the horns, I call it kind of bulldog mentality, um, and taking the strides and the initiative and the ownership to actually go do something about those things, whether it be process improvement, content creation building those cross-functional relationships to change maybe a historical dynamic that isn't positive for the business, those things will not go unnoticed. Um, and I think it will really help, you know, set off the, the trajectory that they're looking for in their career. I love it. Bias for action, couple that with the verified outcomes. And I think <laughs> the career upside is unlimited. Kelly, thank you so much for being our guest on the Metrics of Major App podcast today. Thank you. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying the guest and the content we're discussing here, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to um, our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Go ahead and give us that five-star recommendation and provide us any reviews or recommendations on how we can make the show even better for you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And Kelly, thank you so much. Kelly Capote is the Chief Customer Officer of Gainsight. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsquared.com.